Thanks, David. Thank you so much. Yeah, would you mind? Uh, it probably needs to go down a little bit um, as well. Oh, down or down? <laughs> down. Down a little bit. Guess what, what I'm speaking about this morning? Zacchaeus. Exactly, Zacchaeus. Will it go down? Yeah, it'll go down. Not that, I'm not that sure. <laughs> Zacchaeus. So, if you've got a Bible, why don't you uh, open it up or switch it on to Zacchaeus, uh, to, sorry, Luke chapter 19. Be great. Really want to encourage people to open up God's Word. I hope you know that God's Word is, is living. So that, what that means is, if anyone's uh, fresh out of the box or just thinking about faith for the first time, if you're watching us online, it means that we believe that God, the Holy Spirit, God with us in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, inspired all the women and all the men who were involved in the writing of these words. And the same God, the same Holy Spirit, now inspires us and, and speaks to our hearts and our minds as we read these words. So these are not just words on a, on a page, they're the living word of God. And so that's why we always open up the Bible and, and we really pray, you know, that I pray that you will do that. I mean, um, friends, I'm 57 years old. I've, I've read this story a few times over the years. I was brought up properly through Sunday school and all of that. And and God's spoken to me again freshly through this story as, I, as I've read it. So never, never think that you kind of know the Bible because you, you'll know a lot about what God wants to say through Scripture if you've been on the road with Jesus a while. But you will not know everything and you can never predict how God is going to, going to speak to your heart through his living, living word. So just such an encouragement to you. So yeah, we're... we're on a series called Feasts of Grace. So as a church family, um, over the last month or so, we've been talking about hospitality. We've been um, thinking about how the theme of hospitality is one of those themes that actually you can, it's a meta-narrative to use, to use the word. It's the big picture story, if you want. Love is another meta-narrative, big picture story for the whole of, whole of the Bible. And you can track, can't you, certain things through the whole of the, the words of the Bible, um, through the books of the Bible. You could, for example, you can do it with gardens. There's a garden at the beginning of the Bible. There are significant garden moments through the Bible. And then right at the end, there's a picture of heaven as a restored garden. That's a theme that you can go through. But another one is hospitality. Another one is tables. Another one is, is when you're feasting at a table. That's a, a meta-narrative. That's an overarching picture, an image that is given to us through Scripture. And so the word hospitality and the sense of what hospitality means is a deeply theological word as, as at the same time as being a, a deeply practical word. If you're, if you're trying to make sense of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, if you're here today or you're, you're watching us online and you're trying to think, what does it mean to connect with God? Then hospitality, this theme, is a really, a really helpful one. And we've, over the last few weeks, we've looked at a number of dynamics of, of hospitality that come to us through, through the Bible. We've looked at uh, what it means to make space in your life. For, for the other, 
We looked, if you remember, a few weeks ago, um, Holly and Nick both uh, referenced the fact that the, the word for hospitality in the Greek, it's about making space and welcoming a stranger, even, even one who you might regard as an enemy. And so just over these weeks now that we've got left in this bit of the summer term, we're just looking at some feasts of grace. We're looking at some occasions where Jesus had feasts, had meals with people in his life here on earth. And we're just asking ourselves, what can we learn from these feasts of grace? And today we're chapter 19 of Luke, if you want to, want to follow on. Um, I'm going to read it now. The words will come up, hopefully, um, or not hopefully, because she's brilliant. She'll do really well. I'm hoping that I've put the right words on the slides. They'll hopefully come up um, on the screen as well. But here we go. Chapter 19 of Luke, verse 1. Just God, Holy Spirit, bring these words alive to our hearts again this morning, here in the building and at home. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, you may know that Zacchaeus, the name Zacchaeus, means the pure one. All right? First bit of irony coming up. Name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. Now, at this point, you have to go do a slight little boo, okay? It needs a bit of, ugh, okay? He was a chief tax collector. Yeah, a little bit of pantomime here. And he was wealthy. No surprise in this culture. We'll see in a bit. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. I don't know if you're old enough to remember back 1987, the, the Queen's uh, tennis tournament. There was a, a famous uh, kind of thing that happened. There's a picture of it here. Um, I struggled with the name Zacchaeus at one point, didn't I? I even struggled with his name, Goran Ivanovich. Vic? 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 Yeah, yes. It's something like that. That's right. Um, I say it this sort of older Croatian way. Sorry, it's just my way. There's modern ways of saying it as well, I suppose. Um, but the, in 1987, if you rolled up, he was playing so badly against... Now, who can remember who he was playing? No. 
Okay, so it sounds like it could be a biblical name. Philolopopus. That's right. He, I mean, it, come on, it's a day for names, isn't it? Zacchaeus, Ivanovich, and he was playing with Philolopopus. And he was playing so badly that he went up to the ball girl and famously gave her his racket, and she played the last point for him in the, in the match. Totally unexpected invitation. She became famous overnight. And in fact, uh, about 20 years later, there's a film of her coming back to Wimbledon, being welcomed back as a, as a woman, and they, and they retold the story. Unexpected invitation. Have you ever had an unexpected invitation? Have you ever turned up to something? maybe, and, and thought you were just going to squeeze in uh, at the back, and then suddenly you found yourself at the very front. Nikki and I, um, I when I, uh, we were in together leading a church in a place called Aylesbury, between Oxford and London, um, I was the chairman for a long time, for 10 years, of a charity called Noah, who worked with the homeless and the socially disadvantaged and the vulnerable. And Noah uh, was set up by a formidable nun, um, Sister Eileen, so it had a Roman Catholic sort of origin, and I was Father Andrew, whenever I went to things like there. And because Noah was really successful, nothing to do with me, to do, everything to do with all of the, the formidable nuns and others who, who work and run in Noah Enterprise, still going strong. Um, we got invited, Nikki and I got invited to an event with the Irish president at the Royal Albert Hall. And we were one of the kind of guests at this thing. And we turned up and we hadn't looked at our ticket or anything. And we just turned up and I had, a, had my dog collar on because I was going properly, you know, proper, proper Vic time, proper uh, priest time, Father Andrew, you know, uh, I was going. And we, we get our ticket and we sort of think, well, we'll be somewhere up in the gods or somewhere up in the gods. Get that. Um, anyway, we were, we were row two at the front completely unexpectedly and in fact on Irish television there was constant because they were looking at Irish RTE television were taking and filming this they constantly zoomed in on me cheering along to the uh, to the acts the Irish dance acts that were on because there I was wearing my my dog collar and for their particular television audience seeing a priest kind of singing along was a good thing have you ever had an unexpected invitation where you thought you were going to be humbly going to this thing or, you know, not very significant and suddenly you were there. Maybe you've experienced that in a mealtime, again, as we have this theme of hospitality. Maybe you've suddenly found yourself at a table and you've just pinched yourself. Have you ever pinched yourself to say, is, is this real? This is what happened with Zacchaeus. Uh, many of you will know, I'm sure, that, that for Luke, this, this incident, this story of Zacchaeus is the gospel in miniature. Just, just as for John, many of us will know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. This is Luke summing up. The unexpected, undeserved invitation. We, we can tell from the reaction of the crowd. Did you notice that verse, verse 7 or do you see it there now in, in verse 7? It's all of the crowd mutter. All of the crowd saw this and began to mutter what happened. 
It's not just the the religious people who are in the crowd. It's it's everybody in the crowd muttering behind their mask because this is a sinner that this is happening with. And and a sinner in in the understanding and in the language, in 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 the Jewish thinking of the day, they have different words for people who sin. There's a, a word for people who sin accidentally, didn't, didn't intend it. There's a word for, for people who sin um, un, unknowingly. They, they haven't heard the law of God. And so, yes, they're sinning, but, they, but then there's a word, and it's the word that's used here, for people who sin intentionally. They know exactly what's going on. They know the deal, and yet they deliberately turn away from God's way. Zacchaeus is a, as a tax collector and the way that the Roman Empire worked, one of the th- ways that they made it work in the, the Roman Empire was so successful was they would always appoint local people in every culture, every country that they, they conquered to be their tax collectors because they knew that those people would know the way that things worked. And so a tax collector was a collaborator with the Roman occupying force. And the way that they, they, the tax collector paid a fee to be a tax collector and then extorted, took money from every time that they were t- tax collecting, they raked off a little bit and they raked off as much as they possibly could. And you've noticed maybe from the story, Zacchaeus is not just a tax collector, he is a chief tax collector. He is the worst of the worst. He's knowingly taken a job against the will of God He's bringing direct pain to his own community. He's an agent of pain. And his name means pure one. Nothing accidental in scripture. The only right way to handle a Zacchaeus in your midst, someone who deliberately sets their face against God, someone who is deliberately a sinner, was total rejection, separation. Jesus does the complete opposite. Every church should have some chief tax collectors in it. Every church should have some prostitutes in it. Every church should have a load of sinners. Every church has got a load of sinners. But we come up with a bit of a league table of sins, don't we? We kind of kid ourselves that going past the speed camera at... 33 and a 30 is not as bad as going past a speed camera at 72 on a 70, or is it the other way around? Which are the acceptable sins in our church family? Which are the ones that are acceptable in, in my life? You know, we all have our own top 10 commandments, don't we? 
you know, we'll agree probably about five or six. Hopefully we're all on the same page when it comes to murder. Just praying that one. But kind of as we get to the seven, eight, nine, ten zone, might you have a slightly different set of Ten Commandments to me? Might there be some things where you say to yourself, I say to myself, Andrew, well, you've done okay on that one. See, I would never knowingly sin against God, would I? I mean, clearly you wouldn't either. You see, throughout Luke's gospel and throughout the gospels themselves, throughout the accounts of Jesus' life, there is this constant turning things on its head. And our problem is that we've heard these stories so often, we're not shocked enough. We're not shocked enough by the outrageous grace of God, the undeserved, unexpected grace of God. We're not ready for things to be necessarily turned on their head. Friends, I say it sharply and I'm saying it to myself. What's my attitude to the caravans on Portland Street car park right now? I didn't this morning look out there at at some traveller families who've collected there and think to myself, my first thought was not, I hope that they will be in church today. That was not my first thought, I'll be honest with you. And I apologise now if there are any who've joined us this morning from that community, I apologise. But I just want to make the point, that was not my first thought. I am not offended enough sometimes by the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, to understand how I might live this out. Because you see, like the people in the crowd, I'm rich on religion, rich on religion and not always poor enough in spirit. Because it's people who are poor in spirit. It's people who mourn what is wrong in their lives, what's missing in their lives, who know their need for Jesus Christ. They've got no illusion about their spiritual standing. They don't sort of kind of play a league table of the top 10 commandments. And how am I doing on one to seven or eight or whatever number I get to? But I'm not going to tell you what my number 10 is. There's no false confidence in their own good. Zacchaeus was the worst of the worst. He knew his need. He wasn't in any way trying to stand on his own standing. And the physicality of the whole of this story is deliberate. Do you notice that? It's, it's a physical story. He's a powerful man, Zacchaeus. He's got all the money in the world that he needs. He's got position. And yet he runs. He runs in the heat of the day. He doesn't mind the embarrassment or the ridicule to climb a tree. He probably did climb. We're told he was short, but probably no one could have seen over the crowd if you think about it. How good are you at seeing over a crowd? One or two are too tall here, but you know me. Was he trying to hide from the crowd? Was he so worried about the slings and arrows that would have been thrown at him if he had joined the crowd around Jesus? Was he worried about the looks? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? This is not for you. Did he climb a tree for those reasons as well as lack of height? And the physicality of Jesus walking along stops. He stops on his way. 
He looks, he sees, if you want to read in Luke's gospel, how many times the word for sight or looking or seeing is used. It's no accident. He looks and he sees and he calls Zacchaeus by name. We have never, ever been told of any time where Jesus has ever come into contact with Zacchaeus. Might have done. But the implication is clear that God, through Jesus, in Jesus, knows his name and calls him by name. And so Zacchaeus comes down in order to be lifted up. Never miss the physicality of scripture. Zacchaeus comes down for God's purposes to lift him up. I know there's too often I walk with my head held high when I ought to be flat on the floor before God. And Jesus says, I must stay at your house today. This is, this is not just good welcome. There's a difference between welcome and hospitality, isn't there? I must stay at your house today. The very opposite of what everybody in the crowd would have expected is exactly what Jesus does. And it's because it's about reconciliation. It's about restoration of relationship. It's about intimacy. Fundamentally, the picture is of Zacchaeus, the one who has been cut off, ostracised by his own actions as well as by the crowd, is being brought back into intimate relationship with Jesus. St. Benedict, Benedict who wrote lots of the rule of life for people following Jesus in the centuries past, and many of us pick up on some of his wisdom for our own rule of life, said, pride actually will take you down eventually. Only humility will lead you to being lifted up. The crowd are offended in ways that we may not be offended by this story enough. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. I remember in a hospitality teaching series a couple of years ago, David reminded us that it's much easier actually people to have in your own home. It's actually much more a controlled environment when you invite people into your own home. It's much more a thing often to accept an invitation into somebody else's home. Jesus went to be the guest of a sinner. And all of that crowd assumed that the impurity, the unholiness, the taintedness nature of Zacchaeus' life would now rest upon Jesus. That he would now share in this impurity because he associated with the worst of the worst. But it isn't what happens, is it? What happens is a picture of what happens on the cross. That Zacchaeus's sinfulness, his wrong actions, his impurity are literally absorbed by Jesus at that table. Just as the physical food is going into Jesus' mouth that has been prepared at the hands of a sinner. So you can imagine that the sin 
the rubbish, the wrong things. Literally, as Jesus is eating physically with Zacchaeus, the spiritual renewal and transformation is happening. Jesus takes on Zacchaeus' sin. Jesus deals with Zacchaeus' sin in that moment. It's the imagery of the kingdom, isn't it? And there's no, no cheap grace here. The theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that cheap grace, where, where you say something on the outside, you make a show of, of connection with God, but it hasn't gone deep, is the enemy of the church. A veneer of grace is the enemy of us being the people that God has called us to be. That's not what here, there's no veneer how do we know that? Because we see the fruits of it in Zacchaeus' life. He says, look, it's, it, you can see it. It's no accident. Again, that word, look, see, sight in Luke's gospel. Look, you can see. And then he says, look, Lord. So now Jesus is Lord of his life. Jesus is number one in his life. He says, king of my life, Jesus, look what I I'm doing not to earn what you have already given me. He's already received from Jesus, but now this is the fruit. We always have to get this relationship, don't we, between faith and works, between what we do and what we say. They're 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 symbiotic. They're together. He says, "Look, Lord, here and now, not tomorrow. It's urgent." It's immediate. Here and now, I will give away half of my assets to the poor and I'll pay back four times any amount that I have cheated anyone else out of. It's outrageous generosity because under the law of the, 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 the time for Jewish people, uh, restitution for sins, repayment to make up for wrongdoing was 40%. But Zacchaeus goes far beyond what was required under the law. As an anonymous writer has said, he underwent an earthquake of grace. He experienced an earthquake of grace. And verse 9, Jesus sums up what has happened. He says, truly this man Zacchaeus, the worst of the worst, is now truly a son of Abraham. The one who probably all of the Jews around him at that day, at that time, would have regarded as not really a Jew because of the way he was living, is, says Jesus, a son of Abraham. You know, I have to really challenge myself. Do I, in theory, want notorious tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, etc., 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 as part of my church? Or do I really want feasts of grace in the life of our church? It's so easy to say yes. You know, it's so easy to say, of course, of course we do, of course we do. But are we ready for what it means? Am I ready for what it means to offer hospitality, to host. Because 
this series reminds us that we're all in the same place, actually, as Zacchaeus. None of us can judge. He was propelled to see Jesus. He was drawn. He had to go and see Jesus. Am I being propelled? Do I know my need for Jesus as a sinner? In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, Paul, the follower of Jesus, wrote to the Ephesian church these words. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, speaking directly to us, excluded from citizenship in Israel. That's the relationship back to the son of Abraham bit. And foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now, but now, this is me, Andrew Blythe. I said yes to it when I was 13 years old, but every morning I have to keep saying yes to this. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Hospitality, intimacy. He's made space for me at the table. He does every single day. He wants us to have a really long table as the church of Jesus Christ in this particular place at this particular time. Zacchaeus was totally cut off in so many ways, by his money, by his power, by his possessions. His state was so bad that he saw his need. The problem is I have just enough of those things to dull my senses to the reality of God and my need for him. Mother Teresa said that if it takes you more than 15 minutes to pack up your home and leave, you've got too much stuff. Okay, I mean, I'm not sure we're meant to take that absolutely literally, maybe, or I apologise, maybe I've just done a little kind of religious thing there. Challenges me, does it challenge you? Second thing, so there's the challenge about the invitation from God, the outrageous grace of God, our need to respond urgently, immediately. He looks and he sees, Andrew, get down off your tree, come down so I can lift you up. Second reminder from this series on hospitality and this feast of grace is that the kingdom of God, what what it looks like when Jesus is Lord, is practical. It is transformational, not just in your head, but in your heart, in your hands, in your feet. In what you do, it's about food and it's about mess and it's about dirty washing up, David. It's not about dishwashers. Dishwashers are the work of the devil. They just hide from us the truth of the lasagna bowl or dish. Trinity needs to be a really whacking great dirty, you know, burnt on pasta bake because that can be vegetarian or meat. Is your life messy enough? Andrew, is my life messy enough? Is Trinity messy enough? How does what I believe outwork, express itself in action? And then thirdly, of course, these feasts of grace, this whole series 
not only reminding us of our need for God's welcome and our acceptance of his invitation, not only that that invitation, that welcome, will then express itself in real life action, then, as I've been saying the whole way along, it has to express itself in who we are as community. Verse 10, the reason for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This is our commission. This is our call. This is why we're here. This is our purpose. You may or may not know that in the Church of England at the moment, there's a bit of a debate about a term, missionary disciples. Some people don't like the term missionary disciples. Well, I can't see any other church of Jesus Christ where people are not called to be missionary disciples. I can't see it. I can't see any other kind of church community in scripture where there aren't meant to be notorious chief tax collectors, prostitutes and sinners of every kind. I can't see any other church. I think it's a deceit of the devil to give us a league table of sin. I think it's a deceit of the devil to make us think that speeding at 30, 50, 60, 70, any of those things are different to each other. The camera still takes your picture. You've still broken the law I can't see any other church of Jesus Christ that wouldn't have a really long, messy table. Are we going to be in the crowd grumbling about God's grace? Or are we going to be doing the washing up? Are we going to live in a way that will provoke questions? Are we going to live as a church where we are personally and as a community where people want to say, why do you do that? Why do you accept that person? Why do you keep letting them come? It's a feast of grace that's on offer. It's not a snack. If you're able to, would you like to stand?